0: Welcome to the Payments Journal podcast. I'm your host, Rima Katz. Today, we're exploring the seismic shifts that have shaped the financial industry over the past year. And we're peering into the crystal ball to anticipate what lies ahead in 2024. Joining me today to delve into this is Sudhir Jha, Executive Vice President and Head of Briterion, a MasterCard company, and Tracy Kitten, Director of Fraud and Security at Javelin Strategy and Research. In today's episode, they're going to dissect the transformative trends, starting with the accelerating momentum towards real-time payments. They're also going to uncover the areas where FIs may be falling short and discuss the crucial need for heightened awareness and education in this rapidly changing environment. Sudhir, to start things off, what's changed over the past year and what can we expect going into 2024?
1: Yes, a lot have changed in the last couple of years since COVID came and became a little bit more manageable and society sort of started opening up. A few things have changed in terms of the AI, of course, has has become more a household name now or technology, but in payment industry itself, there has been a ton of payment innovation. So the buy now, pay later became sort of much more prevalent. Account to account payments kind of went from being just sort of way to get a peer to peer payment, paying for your dinner with your friends, to paying anybody and everybody through your accounts and even sort of contactless payment, right? It used to be that you had to take your credit card out or sort of give information about your payments, every transaction. Now most transactions you can just sort of walk through just a tap on the POS device. So we already had tremendous growth in card not present transactions through online, but even sort of now in store purchases are contactless. So there has been a ton of innovation on the payment side. And in some sense, what we are also seeing is using uh, some of the sort of AI advancements to have more innovations on the payment side and more personalization, more ease of use. And that also in some way have sort of transformed the risk profile of transactions as more convenient payment systems have come up. More and more riskiness has also gone up. But again, then technology has been used to see how we can reduce some of those risks and, and make it manageable. So yeah, I mean, I, I, w- I would say a ton of innovation on technology side and specifically on payment side, payment has become in some way much more seamless now than it used to be even just a few years before.
2: Yeah, I'll just you know kind of chime in and, and add to that. Totally agree, we've seen a lot of innovation. We know that the digitization of payments has been accelerated, of course, by and since the pandemic. But I guess, you know, one of the things that I'd like to highlight that we've seen really change over the course of the last 12 to 24 months is this uptick that we've seen in scams. And this ties in with this whole notion of, you know, the peer-to-peer payments, which are across peer-to-peer networks like Zelle and Venmo. But we're also seeing, you know, the advent of social media, Facebook as an example, right, where you you can facilitate payments there. And so... Technology, obviously, is is a huge part of this. A lot of financial institutions are falling short when it comes to intervening or detecting when there's some kind of you know fraudulent or suspicious activity. So over the course of the next year, we really anticipate investments, especially in the U.S., to help get ahead of some of this. And other parts of the world are doing a better job because real-time payments, the advent of real-time payments, is not something new there. In the U.S., it is. Of course, the U.S. has a lot of challenges because of legacy systems, outdated infrastructure. We have a number of you know, networks here, which also makes it much more challenging. But I think the technology piece is a big one, and it's one that we're going to have to really take a look at and figure out quickly. The other piece, of course, is the education part of it. So, you know, we know that when it comes to a lot of these types of scams that consumers are authorizing. These are authorized push payments. You know, these are payments that look legitimate to the financial institution or to the, you know, to the the platform itself. And so educating consumers about the warning signs, what to be on the lookout for, I think is going to only increase over the course of the next 12 months. So
0: you have mentioned that in the past year we've seen this surge in AI technologies. How has this evolution impacted the payments fraud landscape? And what are the key changes businesses really need to be aware of?
1: So I'll actually extend to what Tracy just talked about, right? So one of the reasons that scams and fraud has become much more prevalent is advancements in technology, right? So while the technology is available to the financial institutions and good guys, it's also equally available to the bad guys. And what that has meant, together with what Tracy talked about social media stuff, consumers have become more and more comfortable and more and more sort of prone to leave a lot of their information in the open wide web. So you go to Facebook, you post your personal details, you go to a restaurant, you start posting your, your food even when, before you eat. And that basically means that a fraudster has a ton of information about you to make their fraud attempts much more believable, much more effective. So for just to give an example, right? So if you go to a restaurant and post your, your food picture, the fraudster not only really knows where you are, the location, they know which businesses you interacted with, they even know what you actually ate and so they can easily create a very believable an approach where they can say hey you ate at my restaurant yesterday and uh, you paid x dollar it was actually incorrect you get this refund because you only needed to pay 20 dollars you paid 40 dollars and so uh, click on this link and get the 20 refund and that link can completely be a spam or sort of phishing or it can even be in places where they can hide. It can be a reverse transaction right? Instead If you sending money to them, they send money to you. Sorry, the other way around. What I'm trying to kind of talk about is like, it has become like so easy to use all the information that you're leaving behind in the open sort of public domain to make some of these phishing attempts, some of these uh, approaches to talk to you. Like they also know like what you're interested in so they can, when they're having a conversation with you, when they get your phone number, they can actually become friendly a lot easier and therefore they can create that bond and, and do a scam later on. So yeah, and AI, what AI does in, in some sense is make these things a lot more scalable. So earlier they, they could still do, do those things. It was much harder to collect all information and then it was much harder to personalize the attacks to you uh, because they, there will be a lot of human resource that will be needed for that. Now all of that can be automated using AI. So, so, the, so the businesses need to be aware of that. One, there's a lot of information available for the fosters. And so just by checking a few things that they could do before and asking a couple of questions, you're not going to be able to kind of fight the fraud and scam. And as Tracy said, I mean, technology has to improve drastically to do some of that fighting. And it also is extremely uh, critical for businesses now to be equally adapt in collecting a lot more information, of course, with all the privacy controls and everything like that, to be able to kind of collect all the different uh, pieces together about the customer so that they can actually serve them better and also protect them better. So AI can be used effectively to, to fight crime, but we just have to be a lot more prepared to take it to the level, sophisticated level that is needed. Just having some of those initial stuff that used to work before is actually not going to work anymore, given the the kind of effort that fraudsters are taking to do the scams and fraud.
2: Yeah, those are great points in here. I'm just going to kind of tag along on some of the points that you made. The social media piece, you know, if we just move away from all the technology and we move away from what the industry should be doing, the social media piece is such a huge one. And in fact, most of what I've been researching and writing about, over the last six months, always has some kind of connection to to social media and what consumers are sharing about themselves. This is going to be an ongoing battle and one that I really think is going to help propel some of the social media monitoring and dark web monitoring and those types of things that that we see investments in. But, you know, just just across the board, I mean, AI is is a double edged sword. It can be used to to benefit us, the good guys, but also to benefit the, the the cyber criminals. And you know, we've talked a lot about regulation and halting advancements in AI. But when we take a step back and think about that, that sounds wonderful in theory, but in practicality, it, it's not. It's not really a logical step because we know that regardless of what we do as an industry, cyber criminals aren't going to halt. They're going to continue to use AI and advance their techniques and their tactics. I would just like to say that. One thing when it comes to privacy, I know that we often get very concerned about privacy and there are certain parts of the world where privacy, consumer privacy is something that, you know, we are very concerned about. So, uh, you know, I think about Germany as an example, the U.K., the U.S. and other parts of the world like Singapore. Privacy, you know, is something that consumers are a little bit more lenient about because, you know, there's a little bit more trust there when it comes to the government protecting their data but i will say that regardless of the market and even you know more specifically in the us we do find year over year that consumers consistently tell us that they are willing to share more personal data about themselves which would include their shopping habits which would include biometrics information and even personal details if they know that that information can be used to help enhance cybersecurity and prevent fraud so i think all of these things tie together again i think the education piece on the parts of consumers is a big one but i think as an industry We just have to do a better job of educating consumers about why they need to be sharing information with us. They're posting most of it on social media anyway, right? So some of those disclosures that are used on the back end, some of those behavioral biometrics, device identification, those types of things could really enhance security and benefit them long-term.
0: A lot of things to definitely keep in mind, specifically posting a picture of like the next meal you're going to have before you dig into it. You know, with these continuous advancements in fraud techniques, so, how are fraud fighting technologies adapting to stay ahead of the curve? I know that Tracy just gave like, you know, a few examples as well, but can you share any specific strategies that have proven effective in combating emerging fraud threats over the past year? And how do you anticipate these strategies evolving again as we head into 2024?
1: Yeah, so I think that as we were discussing, right, there, there is a lot of information that consumers are leaving behind in the on the internet um, and, and sort of public consumption and fraudsters are, are using them very, very effectively. I think that it is time that the companies and institutions also start figuring out how to use uh, some of the information. Again, as Stacey pointed out, like there are some regulations and, and government sort of uh, interventions in terms of what you can do with the data and how we can uh, use it. But in, in most cases, we have tried to kind of find that by balance of securing and protecting the customers with the data that we can collect. And therefore it is, in the consumers interest to to kind of have the institutions to do those data gathering but the idea that prostors are collecting the data and the only way for us to then fight that is to collect those data as well to be able to be prepared right to kind of be proactive about that and not be reactive that is typically how institutions have been so far so that's one thing like just gathering more data and using ai technology effectively and that's kind of where ai shines the more data you can have the the more AI technology can help you sort of piece together, create a story, create a narrative, create a profile persona of the consumer, and therefore you can be a lot more prepared for what the next step for the customer is. And that's kind of where a lot of even generative AI stuff that is happening right now is, is going, where if I know enough about you, I can pretty much predict what your next step is going to be in a much more accurate way. And therefore I can then be a lot more confident on your next transaction, when I'm see, seeing it, whether it makes sense for you or not. And therefore, I can be more, again, proactive to kind of allow that. Because the tough balance that institutions have to take uh, when they're fighting fraud or risk is that you want to be definitely securing the transaction, but you also don't want to add so much friction that the customer doesn't like the experience. And so how do you kind of balance that where for 90, 95, 98% transactions, you don't have to do anything. You can basically see from the pattern that it actually makes sense for the customer to make it. And then only in the very small portion of the transaction, you, you have to start adding friction or or adding some kind of a protection so that you're not letting the fraudster win. So that's, I think, in in my mind, at, at a holistic level, collecting more data, using sort of more advanced AI technology and doing a very accurate prediction of of what the consumer, the real consumer will do the the next thing is I think a very uh, good strategy. In other side of things, I think Tracy can mentioned mention, giving more of the education to the customer so that they know how to, because in many cases, customers, when the fraud is happening on their behalf, particularly in the scam scenarios, the customer himself or herself is actually doing the, the transaction and therefore it becomes much harder for the institutions to then protect them. And they're doing it because they have been convinced by the fraudster that this is the right thing to do. And so if you can educate the customers more and give them again more tools to understand what is good and what is bad, and and therefore they should not be falling for the fraudsters, that is another piece that needs to happen, not just by the institutions, but also by the government and public policy and, and all those other institutions that are actually active in different countries.
2: Yeah, and I'll just, I'll add to that. This is a a huge challenge. And again, it comes back to layered security, which is something that we've talked about, you know, for so many years, but it really does remain tried and true. Those behavioral biometrics on the back end, the cadence of how you know, the consumer is logging into the account through an online banking transaction, the cadence that they're using on the keypad when they're logging in on a mobile device. Those types of things are difficult for a cyber criminal from an AI perspective to mimic. So using some of those back-end behavioral biometrics in tandem, you know, with device identification, the amount of the transaction, all those traditional things that we would be looking for. Again, completely agree with it here, though. We don't want to put so much friction or have false positives where we're turning too many people away. Anecdotally, I would just like to mention that um, I have been hearing there are some financial institutions when they have customers, they're actually flagging certain customers now that they have deemed to you know, be more likely to fall for a scam. So those who've been pulled into a romance scam or some kind of long-term investment scam, and they've repeatedly tried to, to warn that customer about, transferring funds or communicating with a fraudster, that they've actually been making decisions to to several relationships with those customers. So it's almost like we would find a high-risk customer. And some of those high-risk customers, perhaps you flag transactions for those customers more so than you would flag transactions for you know customers who keep themselves safe and, and have good cybersecurity practices. All of these are the different types of things, I think, from an innovation standpoint that we could be seeing. But again, I think just coupling behavioral biometrics with the device identification, with the tried and true, you know, types of transactional histories, all of those things, that layered approach is really going to be, you know, what we continue to see evolve over the course of the next year.
0: A lot of great strategies to keep in mind and really spoke about that education element, which is very crucial. I think another thing that is crucial is collaboration, and um, especially in the fight against fraud. So, dear, how have organizations been collaborating to address the challenges posed by AI and evolving fraud tactics?
1: Yeah, so collaboration is something that we have uh, talked about in the fraud and risk uh, space for at least a couple of decades. Um, I've I've been sort of working uh, since the beginning of this uh, century in in the space, and we have tried many, many times in the past to do that. In the past, most organizations didn't open up much because they almost thought fraud prevention or risk mitigation to be a competitive advantage. And the common sort of perception, and even some organizations have that today, is that. You just have to be better than the the rest, and therefore you would be protected. What is actually happening with with some of these advanced AI technology that the fraudsters are using, that nobody's protected. You pretty much have to be the toughest and strongest and continue to improve. Just because you're better than the rest doesn't mean, because sometimes institutions that are better than the rest uh, are also the most big target that if once the fraudsters succeed, they can actually make a lot of money, right? So if you think about Amazon, if somebody can break break into Amazon, you can make millions and millions and millions of dollars in in seconds. And so so the idea is is that you kind of have to now be as protected, as secure, as safe as possible, regardless of what your peers are doing, which then is leading to, and this is where I'm, I'm actually very optimistic, that there is a lot more collaboration conversation that are happening and not just conversation, but actually there is a lot of desire and even steps taking in, in the collaboration space. And it is it is very critical, again, going back to some of the things we're discussing, as fraudsters are collecting data from different sources and using that to, to perpetrate a fraud that is much more realistic, you need to have the full picture. And today, in almost any payment transaction, there are at least five, six, seven different parties involved, and they have their own view of the transaction. right? So if you take the credit card transaction, you have a bank that issues the credit card, a merchant where you're actually transacting, there are acquirers uh, who basically collect all these merchant uh, signals into one place there are payment processors that come into the picture as well. there is of course a card network and so and each of these entities have their picture of transaction and their picture of, of the of the card holder profile and they're limited right they, they don't have all the information in so for example a merchant doesn't know what this card, Holder has done in other other merchants uh, places. Uh, issuer doesn't know what is happening in this region uh, in 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 terms of fraud. So so I think there is a lot of those information that once you collaborate between the parties and get the full end to end picture of the transaction, you can do a lot better. And so yeah, I think in in this sense, I think there is a lot of hope that as institutions realize uh, more and more that fighting fraud is is more of a collective sort of a target, not an individual target that. Is going to succeed even more. And so I'm hopeful that we'll have more collaboration going forward.
2: Yeah, and I would agree with it here. I mean, you know, we have been talking about collaboration for many, many years. And when I think about, you know, the the launch of the FSI SAC as an example in response to, you know, the DDoS attacks that we saw, you know, striking so many large financial institutions, and then that effort expanded out to include retailers, merchants, and financial institutions, and then later insurance. So everyone knows that there's a need there. I will say that we have a long way to go. And that I do often see that it's not just collaboration and communication outside the organization, it's also collaboration and communication within the organization. And the challenges that department from department have when it comes to trying to get budget for investment in certain technologies, how can they share data in an anonymous way? Those types of silos, those walls have to be broken down where there's not competition between departments for budget, but where there's sharing of tools and sharing of information. I'm really hopeful that we will finally get to the tipping point for cyber fusion centers. I really think that this will be the catalyst that kind of propels us into, you know, the next dimension, if you will, that we should have already been in, right, when it comes to information sharing and data sharing, because we have a lot of data. The problem is we can't all share it in a meaningful way. And that that continues to be a challenge for the industry and and one that I hope we're able to to get over as, as the market necessitates it.
1: So I'll actually add quickly, in fact, internal collaboration is a very good point. And one of the things that we have seen is a lot of fragmentation within the organization because of the rapid advancement of the technologies, the rapid advancement of the different payment types, as well as the different fraud vectors. So one of the things when I talk to different banks that I hear very often is they have all these different channels. So you have have a card payment type, you have ATM withdrawals, you have account-to-account transfers, and all of these, in many cases, have evolved at different times, and therefore they have different solutions, different stack, even vendors that they're using to kind of solve that problem. And then now you add sort of different fraud types to that. So you have account takeover, and you have fraud, and you have scam, and you have AML and sanctions and all these things. And suddenly now you have, again, different solutions, different stacks for solving those. And now you you basically are talking about 15, 20 different solutions, different ways that you're handling these kind of uh, attempts within an organization. And it is very hard because, as I said, these have evolved over time and they have sort of been different built at different times, which means that some of these stacks don't talk to each other. They're, they're not even API enabled in many cases. And so, yeah, I think that there is a need within the organization to figure out how these things are related because a customer is a customer, right? And And you need to basically be able to see all the different pieces, all the different ways that they interact with your institution to be really effective in terms of fighting crime on that. So, yeah, I think I completely echo the sentiments. And th- again, there is a active sort of discussions happening, but it is taking time because the technology stacks are not very easy to, to collaborate uh, within the organization.
0: As we come to an end, you both covered a lot thus far. If you could leave the audience with a final takeaway as we head into 2024, what would that be? Siddharth,
1: I'll start with you first. So uh, this is the problem in in working in the fraud, risk, and compliance sort of uh, area, that uh, it is always gets very depressing and gloomy when you talk about this. But I think what what I want to leave behind is we have come a long way, and in a sense that if you just even go back 20 years ago, uh, when sort of the e-commerce was evolving, most institutions were resigned to the fact that you will lose 1% to 2% in the CNP fraud card not present sort of area. It has come away to a point where most institutions, if they don't get below 0.1% fraud, they seem to to kind of think that they're not doing the right thing, which is tremendous. Right? If you think about losing 2% of your revenue to losing 0.1%. And also, even though contactless and account-to-account, all these things have issues and, and there, are, there are fraud and there are scams that are happening, I have not seen the numbers that is anywhere close to one to two percent of transaction so even sort of a new payment type when they come to market because people are educated enough on how to fraud uh, fight fraud and things like that they're generally safer than they used to be 15 20 30 years ago because of all the different things that that you can do as a base level so what i will leave behind is things are definitely needed to kind of evolve but we are in a decent place already and 2024 is going to be Again, a year that we will take another step towards making our payment ecosystem safer and better, and it'll it'll actually only improve. So, I would want to leave with a happy note and have confidence that if we collectively try to work on this problem, this is all solvable problem.
2: And I'll agree with it here. I'll try to reinforce the positive note. I think the one thing that I'd like to just leave as a takeaway—that's kind of an overarching, you know, theme of the the whole discussion—is that fraud prevention and cybersecurity are customer service issues, and I think that's been a big challenge, and it it really is going to require a cultural change within financial institutions, retailers, from the top down. The C-suite has to understand that there has to be budget for fraud prevention, that this is a customer service issue, that you're going to lose customers, even if there isn't a regulatory compliance mandate. So I think if we can just kind of bring more of that fraud and cybersecurity discussion into the fold on a daily basis and have it transcend across the organization, we'll be moving in a positive direction.
0: Thank you both so much for sharing your insights and perspective and for joining us today. And thanks to everyone for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe and stay updated on the latest Payments Journal episodes. And don't forget to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues.